0: welcome to the minerals and royalties podcast the home of ceos and investors in the minerals and royalty space hey guys this is tim powell from the minerals and royalties authority i recently sat down with andrew harroway svp of finance at 89 energy and cfo of land run minerals during the episode. Andrew walks through the evolution of the 89 Energy and Land Run Minerals portfolios, including their most recent partnership with Kane Anderson and their 200 plus million dollar acquisition in the Anadarko Basin. Let's jump into the episode and hear more of what Andrew had to say. All right, Andrew, good morning and welcome onto the podcast. Thanks for coming on.
1: Morning Tim, thanks
0: for having me. You bet, you bet. So um, I'm excited to jump in. You guys are an Anadarko player through and through. You have an operating company, you have a huge minerals position. You did a pretty sizable deal, which is, you know, it's, it's not very common in the Anadarko these days, right? You guys mm-hmm. closed on that last year. So excited to jump into all of that. Before we do so, I always like to paint a little background on on who we're talking to. So if you can just where you grew up, where you went to school, um, your finance guy. So kind of the evolution of your career and how you got into finance banking, why it was all gas, and then we'll jump into the episode.
1: Yeah, certainly. So I uh, grew up in um, Houston, suburbs of Houston, Sugar Land, Missouri City area. Went to public high school out in Burbs. Um, you know, my, my parents were not from the area originally, so I really had no ties to any school. Um, I had some buddies that went to a and I kind of wanted a, a college town environment. Um, you know, comparing Austin to College Station, College Station had a little more of what I was looking for. So I, I went to AM. Uh, my parents both had like an accounting background and they kind of steered me away from the accounting sphere, but I uh, majored in finance and I was in the business honors program at A&M. You know, I, I knew that I either wanted to get into kind of management consulting, like the Bain BCGs of the world or investment banking, just because it provided the most optionality for, for future stuff to do. And so I got involved with some programs at AM that helped get into those spheres, which at, at the time was somewhat challenging coming from a from and I, I interned at TPH um, in Houston in the summer of 2013, got a return offer to come back there, worked at TPH from... 2014 to 2016, where I joined NGP in their uh, Dallas office, that's kind of where I got connected in with 89 guys. I think it was either my first or second day at NGP is when 89 Energy was initially backed by NGP. Um, So then I was on the 89 team from a monitoring perspective, um, pretty much my entire time at NGP. And between 89, one and two, is when I left NGP to join the 89 guys that was in April of 18 and I've been in Oklahoma City ever since.
0: Well, let's, uh, you know, there's a minerals podcast, but you guys have an integrated platform. Give me the backstory in 89 and kind of the iterations, what the portfolio looks like today, and then we'll jump into the land run mineral story.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, 89 Energy um, was founded by our CEO, John Mark Beaver, in the summer of 2016. Um, so John Mark started his career at Chesapeake in the early to mid-2000s, and alongside Aubrey and Tom, kind of in the, the heyday of Chesapeake. When Tom founded Sandridge, John Mark left to go uh, be a part of the land business development, um, asset development team at Sandridge, um, and was there for, I think his. Five or six years. And then, as Aubrey was starting American Energy, he left Sandridge and joined Aubrey at at AEP and was running um, the American Energy non op and minerals platform at AEP. At that time, they were starting to look in the scoop merge play, particularly the merge. And when Aubrey passed, um, it was kind of a, a time where The merge was starting to take off and it was kind of an inflection point in John Mark's career. So he went out to seek funding to try to pursue um, a merge operated strategy. Um, Got backed by NGP. That was 89 Energy 1 in 2016. Alongside building that operated business and Merge, um, the strategy was pitched from 89 to buy Minerals alongside, just because of having that operator advantage, um, knowing the area, knowing the basin, knowing the players. You're already talking to a lot of the guys for leases. So you have the you have the title opinions, you have the type curves, the view of development. It's just natural to be able to, to buy minerals alongside that. So that was the original land run minerals LLC, which was kind of just hand in glove with the 89 Energy One assets. Those businesses were built from summer of 16 to December of 17 when they were contributed as part of the Camino roll-up, which was the, the Camino about the war petroleum assets. And then you had a Energy 1 and the Rebellion position in Scoop. Those were combined to be kind of the initial Camino asset. As part of that merger, one of the considerations for the A9 team was, was doing a minerals um, strategy alongside Camino as part of a kind of a front of the drill bit buy strategy. That became Land Run 2, which was a 50-50 JV between Camino and Eighty Nine Energy 2. So you 89.2 know, is another uh, mid-con strategy we were buying in kind of the south scoop play. If people are familiar with the Shovelton field, um, it's where Continental is pretty active right now, kind of in the one north four, one south four, one south three area.
0: This is 2017, so Anadarko is still pretty hot at this point from a yeah, middle this Yeah, this
1: was late 17, early, early 18 is when 89.2 was formed and Land Run 2 started. So Land Run 2, we were kind of operating both concurrently. Same same team, uh, we were running the business as well as buying minerals. And we were, you know, the way the relationship worked with us with Camino is that, you know, Camino provided the drill schedule and title opinions and general confidence in results. Kind of, we provided type curves. They said, yep, that, that checks out with how we view the world as well. And we led the buying effort. And so, That was kind of the split of resources. Camino had the data. We were the ones that were acquiring minerals. We ran the books, et cetera. So that business was from 2018 to kind of right before COVID. It's probably about the time that we kind of shut down the buying on that. The 89.2 assets were also contributed as part of a second Camino merger in uh, May of 2020. NGP was just further consolidating that MidCon platform around the Camino uh, enterprise. We rebacked with NGP on land run three, which was initially a Permian focused strategy in NGP's mineral fund. So we, you know, all, all along the way, most of our what we consider strategic advantage in minerals has been pairing our operated knowledge um, with buying minerals in usually that same basin or partnering with an operator in the basin to have that information edge. Otherwise you're just, you're kind of hoping that you can sell to the greater fool to some degree. Uh, We don't have that. It's, it's a beta play instead of an alpha play. Mm -hmm. And we just usually don't like to be in a beta type position. It's just a little bit harder to consistently make money. Um, So land run three, we were in the Permian focused on the Permian at the time and really trying to develop those operator connections to try to get to that same state where we felt like we had a competitive advantage. We did a couple deals here and there. And we're also looking to to put a large amount of capital to work in an operating strategy kind of throughout Lower 48. You know, we had a midcon background, but you know, a lot of the teams having worked at the Chesapeake's and Devon's of the world had experience in other basins. So we were looking kind of all over. It was about that time toward the end of, the, of that year for the end of 2020 that Kane Anderson had reached out to us. About, and, you know, expressed that they were likely to put more money in their mid-composition, roll it together and needed a management team. Um, and it was kind of an inflection point with us at, in the NGP realm where we didn't really have a material asset to develop on the operated side. Um, and that was kind of the bread and butter of the team or a large portion of the team is developing. Um, and so we made the decision to leave the NGP umbrella at the end of 2020 and join with Kane in January of 2021. So when we left that, that kind of left that land run three business behind, uh, it never fully, fully got taken off in the Permian. And we had, we were starting to really get uh, more legs under us there, but we made the decision to move from a more of an operated standpoint than minerals and
0: join with Kane. Yeah, I mean, timing wise, it's tough to stand up, you know, in a new basin and, you know, do do kind of that double pronged strategy. There was no deal flow, everything was so locked up in that period. And so to kind of build everything from scratch and then scale it things only start to pick up kind of Q1, Q2, 2021, right? So I think the combination of a number of factors there that, that there were some headwinds. So yep. now you're back in the Anadarko, the you're with Kane, and they rolled up a bunch of their operating companies together to get scale. So I want to give a little context on that.
1: Yep. so they merged together the Casius Native and Acacia assets. They ended up finding a buyer for Beacon, which was a non-op stack position. And then Triumph was in a little bit more more of a challenged um, situation from a leverage standpoint. And it just didn't make a lot of sense to roll that into the pro forma capital structure of the three combined businesses. So we joined as the management team of the combined business and then had an MSA in place where we were managing Triumph. On behalf of Kane. So Triumph was never in the capital structure, um, but it was something that we were actively involved in, preparing the books, et cetera. So those entities were merged. I think technically it was December 31st of 2020, um, that they were full, fully put together. Um, the official name at the outset was MidCon Hold Co-Partners. We ended up rebranding that A9 energy three. And I think that's when we issued that press release in May of April and May of 2021, um, but the business had been combined since the end of that year. We were in place in early January, uh, spent the first, call it six to eight months, just trying to get our feet under the asset and and, uh, make sure we understood what we had um, and just trying to deal with all the complexities of combining three businesses together that we're in. Three different cities had three different sets of employees that we needed to figure out solutions for, um, three different databases, accounting systems. There's just a lot of integration that goes from a Smashco into an actual logistically sound business. Um, So we did that for the first six, seven, eight months, stood up a rig in August of 2021 and have been developing that.
0: Hey guys, I wanted to take a quick break from the conversation to say thank you to all of our podcast sponsors. Looking to ramp up deal flow for your minerals and non op ground game? Since 2019, the Texas Mineral Company has closed on over 120 deals, totaling 110 million in value, with deal sizes ranging from 50K upwards of 5 million. Whether you're looking for white space, permit, duck, PDP, AFE, or well only deals, the Texas Mineral Company has got you covered. For more information on how to source deal flow from the Texas Mineral Company, please email Toby Martinez at toby at the Texas Mineral Company dot com. Over the past 20 years, Riverbend Energy Group has been the definitive leader in the non-op and mineral space, where they are actively acquiring minerals in the Delaware Basin, Midland Basin, the Williston and the Eagleford. Following their $1.8 billion sale of their non-op platform in 2022, They are also back actively acquiring non-op interests in the Delaware Basin, Midland Basin, and Williston. If you have minerals or non-op working interests in these areas that you would like to sell, then please visit www.riverbendenergygroup.com for more information. As a leading global energy business advisory firm, Opportune is well positioned to provide world-class technical, financial, and operational capabilities to minerals and royalties companies. Whether it's back office outsourcing, resource and reserve definition, land due diligence and administration, GIS mapping, valuation work, data and system integration, financial reporting, tax advisory, or buy and sell side assistance, Opportune LLP has got you covered. For more information, please visit www.opportune.com. Farmers National Company has oil and gas experts located across the country ready to provide you unmatched convenience and service for your land management needs. Whether you're looking for turnkey management of oil and gas interests, or simply looking for an advisor to help you sell or lease your minerals, Farmers National Company has you covered. Learn more about Farmers National Company's team of certified mineral managers, landmen, attorneys, and accountants by going to FNCenergy.com. Or reach out directly at energy at farmersnational.com. For reference, the, can you just talk about the footprint?
1: It's about sixty to 70,000 acres, um, primarily in scoop. Um, when when it was merged together, we had the stacked assets of Acacia. Those were sold in late summer, early fall of 2021. Right now, we are about 25,000 BWI a day. Um, we've developed about 45 additional horizontal wells since we took over uh, management from August of 21 to, to present. Um, we're, call it roughly 40% oil, about 60% liquids. So the asset, it has a an, an area that is really high liquids and an area that's also higher gas, higher GOR. So we have that benefit of commodity optionality on the development side, um, which has played to our benefit in that, you know, we've, we've focused the vast majority of our time the past two years on the oily properties. I and, mean, you know, we going into this year had an expectation of maybe focusing a little more on the gas. Um, but, but as the gas market retreated, we kind of reshuffled the drill schedule to focus a little back more on the oil. So it's nice to have that ability to play to where the market's telling you we need to be
0: active in. I think it would be really interesting. You know, we've had a bunch of folks on who buy minerals in Anadarko and we've talked about you know, how the landscape has changed, you know, from when the Interdarco was red hot to when there was a technical reset to through COVID to now. Um, but we haven't had the perspective of an operator. And so you guys wear both hats. Talk to me about, you know, 2016 to present spacing drilling economics, where the tier one areas have really been defined to date, and how that was a moving field goal post. And then, you know, we'll tie into when you were buying minerals through this period, how that ebbed and flowed as well. But over to you, the the EMP's perspective of the Anadarka the last, you know, call it eight, 10 years.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's been kind of a up and down ride. I mean, I, you know, 2016 was, you had a series of A&D deals that had happened Recently, at that point, you had the Felix Devon deal and you had the Vitruvian Gulfport deal that happened around generally that time, 2016, 2017 timeframe that, you know, really had put the scoop and stack on the map as, you know, a developable public company uh, basin with a substantial growth. And, you know, I think at that time the mineral buying really started picking up as well. You know, the, the, the view of what was core, I think still being very much defined and as it was kind of throughout the lower 48, you know, the, the stack was starting to really take off um, and people were trying to figure out where that play Ended. So, you had people pushing to the east in terms of the Alta Mesa deal. You had people pushing west with the Staghorn and general NCAP portfolio they had out there to the northwest. And then you had people pushing up dip and scoop and even, even deeper as well into kind of the seven west area. So, you know, I think the play has definitely shrunk from what people view as tier one and economic to develop. And I think the number of wells per section has also declined. But I think what, what we have seen as an operator is that, you know, the, it depends on where you are in the basin, but proper spacing is probably more in the three to six wells per section and not the, you know, 10 to 15 wells per section that some people had hoped. And had tried to execute on. Um, so I think you know the, there's still the overarching view broadly that the Midcon is a uninvestable asset, which we we don't hold that view. I think we we strongly believe that you know on a single well and on a unit basis the economics are are competitive with some of the better plays in the U.S. And you have a lot of commodity optionality um, and diversification, so you're not solely pegged to either gas or oil price. And it's a basin where um, gas basis is, has remained relatively healthy. I mean, we're not having huge basis blowout issues. Um, and it's, it's a, what we view as a, a core basin in, in the lower 48 um, and one that should continue to attract capital. I think it's from an E&P standpoint you know, that there are a lot of assets held in public companies that probably um, would like to find a way to divest of those. I think the MidCon is one that is somewhat gridlocked right now from an A&D standpoint of trying to figure out who's going to be the consolidator or if there is going to be a consolidator. From the mineral standpoint, you know, I think when the basin was starting to really take off in 2016-17 timeframe, you know, you had a ton of people looking to buy minerals. You know, Oklahoma is one that is set up well for doing a ground game just given the sheer number of owners. And a lot of them are people who have inherited their minerals from someone who is an ancestor that was part of the land run in the late 1800s. And a lot of those people ended up moving away from Oklahoma around like the Dust Bowl time. So you have a lot of people who are out-of-state owners of mineral rights in Oklahoma that have very little tie to the, the oil and gas industry, which makes it set up well for like a mailer type campaign. So there were a lot of people doing a small ball ground game in Oklahoma at that point. And we were we were one of those people doing both mailers and calls to try to, to amass uh, mineral rights. And, you know, we we had done that through Land Run Minerals One, um, which was within GP. And that was primarily focused on buying minerals in and around our operated asset of 891, as well as using some of our operator knowledge and industry signals to kind of get ahead of what we saw as imminent development from another operator that we liked. So that was almost exclusively a ground game. We did zero large-scale A&D. Our our main competition was one point, um, a handful of others, uh, the Shadow Creek Minerals team, uh, a lot of people who flipped minerals as well. Uh, we tried to avoid the flippers if we could, um, but at, at some degree, they are um, attractive
0: prices that you can buy from them as well. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, back when you talk about the optimal spacing being three to six wells, not 10 to 15, you know, back in, in, in that era, you know, Echo and, and Longpoint you know, they had pension money, they were coming in and they were the consolidators at the time. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think you mentioned it's, it's really good insight saying it's a great basin for ground game because there's so many little landowners and they're out of state. Yeah. So in a, in a natural ecosystem, you have all all the guys kind of bundling stuff up and then you go up the food chain and you sell it to the larger guys who have more capital to deploy. And, and that's kind of the yeah. healthy daisy chain. We haven't had that in recent years because I think yeah. a lot of the folks that were buying back then. And you know they're buying on the come. They're they're hoping for development, and they were underwriting you know the eight to ten mm-hmm. plus locations and section, which essentially means they were overpaying. And I think yeah. until that PV twenty five, PV thirty ARBs to PV ten and is producing, mm-hmm. it's really hard to justify letting it go at such a heavy discount. So I think unless it develops a lot of those legacy mineral portfolios are going to continue to be held. And you guys really, for the most part, were the first ones to do a large scale transaction from one of the folks who had been aggregated in that period. And they had gone out to market several times, but it wasn't developed enough. It wasn't developed enough. And then it was largely a PDP buy. So we'll get in that deal in a bit, but yeah, I think you know that. that's the interesting thing. Rigs are coming back. The play is more defined. There's been time to let those portfolios mature a bit. So I'm curious to see if larger scale A&D sure. comes back to the mineral space in the Arco, and you start to get that healthy ecosystem kind of bottom to top end buyers going again. But anyway, so back over to you. I just want to have a little anecdote there, kind of land run. And, and the other entities onwards. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I agree with with your assessment. Um, you know, there are a lot of entities out there that are
1: stuck, for lack of a better word, or kind of are unlikely to potentially get back to par. Um, and we'll see how long those continue to be held versus someone just calling Cathrobe and, and uh, getting those, try to, try to trade them. Going back to kind of our evolution, you know, Land Run 2 was effectively born out of the Camino 89 Energy 1 merger. Um, that was a I'd say consideration as part of the merger was that we were going to form a drill bit uh, mineral bind JV with Camino. That was um, from early 2018 through uh, kind of right before COVID. Um, we put together. I think my my numbers were a little fuzzy. I think it was around 10,000 NRA toward the end, um, which exclusively ground game, zero large scale A and D. And almost all of it was pre drill bit, pre any production. So it, it was really starting to take off by around the time that we started 893 and moved over to the cane umbrella. But you know that that was a business that um, I think showed a very successful operator-mineral company partnership, and I think a lot of that was born out of the fact that we were an operator as well and had that knowledge and that that ability to speak the same language as a Camino and generally trade notes. And there was just a, a different level of data of sharing that I feel like was, was happening uh, between us and Camino than was typical for a mineral operator sponsor or mineral operator partnership, particularly one where you have a joint sponsor. I think that sometimes leads to a, a difficult relationship to continue to profitably execute on, but we were, some, we were able to make it work on Land Run 2.
0: Hey guys, I wanted to take a quick break from the conversation to say thank you to all of our podcast sponsors. Your property is your legacy, so you should only leave it in the hands of a land management company who has a legacy of its own. If you own all gas interests or act as a fiduciary for those who do, you can find a long-term partner at Farmers National Company who, since 1929, has taken great pride in helping clients maximize the benefits of property ownership by providing turnkey management services and by working alongside them through generational transfers of specialized assets such as oil and gas interests and farmland. To learn more, visit FNCenergy.com or reach out directly at Energy at FarmersNational.com. Since 2019, the Texas Mineral Company has been a leading ground game broker for minerals and non-op deals closing over 120 transactions across the Permian, Scoop Stack, Haynesville, Bakken, Paddle River Basin, DJ and Eagleford. With deal sizes ranging from 50k upwards of 5 million and 1.5 NRAs upwards of 3,500 NRAs, the Texas Mineral Company can be flexible on where and how they can source your deal flow. For more information on how your team can work with the Texas Mineral Company, please email Toby Martinez at Toby at tobyatthetexasmineralcompany.com. Need energy industry management experience at your fingertips? Opportune LLP, a leading global energy business advisory firm, has the capabilities needed to overcome your minerals and royalties team's technical, operational, and financial challenges. To learn more, search Opportune's podcast E2B Energy to Business on Apple and Spotify podcasts where opportune examines emerging financial and technology trends and provides a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead create opportunities and execute market strategies for more information please visit www.opportune.com over the past 20 years riverbend energy group has been the definitive leader in the non-op and mineral space where they are actively acquiring minerals in the delaware basin midland basin the williston and the eagleford Following their $1.8 billion sale of their non-op platform in 2022, they are also back actively acquiring non-op interests in the Delaware Basin, Midland Basin, and Wilson. If you have minerals or non-op working interests in these areas that you would like to sell, then please visit www.riverbendenergygroup.com for more information. Great. And so the playbook has been partner with an operator, buy under your bet, and land run four was very much the same, but now... With Kane as a sponsor, right, and you continue yep. doing that to date.
1: Yep, yep. So um, when we had taken over management of the what's now considered called 893, but the, the Casillas team had had um, a a entity called Flint Oak Minerals, um, where they had bought a few mineral rights, carved off a few overrides on their asset. We changed that name to Land Run Four, and then started up a mineral buying program under our drill bit. That that assets call it around five to six thousand NRA today. You know, I think the difficulty on Land Run Four is just that the window that we're trying to buy in is a little bit smaller than how, than what it was on like the Camino asset. I think we're looking at a pretty discrete area of like McLean County versus you know the entirety of. Canadian and Grady County. So there's just a little bit less to pick part there. And it's a little bit later in the game where a lot of people have been, been called on and there's a little bit less on the ground to do. Um, but we're still putting together minerals under our own drill bit that make economic sense.
0: Great. And then when you press release October 31st, 2022, the formation of Land Run 4, you also announced the formation of Land Run 5 and a $200 plus million plus acquisition mostly in the stack, largely developed. I'm just kind of reading the bullet points here. 4,500 BOEs uh, of net production across 55,000 NRAs, mostly in Kingfisher, Canadian, and Blaine, and a little over 1,700 wells, average NRI of 1.6%. So n- big package, biggest package to date, that's purely uh ended up in the last four years, five years. Don't quote me on that, but if it's not the biggest it's you know it's, it's it's there it's notable so i don't know uh why do you reverse engineer why do you think you guys were successful there and were able to get something of scale where no one really has been able to
1: yeah i think i'll, I'll back up a little on, on that asset in general i think well when you think about minerals at scale in a private equity construct it, there's a little bit challenged i think in that you you're trying to get a mid to high teens to, to low 20s equity return on an asset that's kind of viewed by the public market as a yield asset. So it's it's a little bit of a different cost of capital that plays at the public level and at the private equity level at scale. So it it is an asset that I think was one that you could fit pretty well into the private equity construct given... Where it was geographically located in the stack, you know, it, it is in what we considered core, the core stack, and it had exposure to five to six public operators that were pretty active. Uh, some of which had drilling JVs. From both, I think Devon and Marathon had ones that were helping them to continue to develop. So, you know, we had a, a strong view that the development was at least going to continue for the next two to five years, and I think that, that exposure that was concentrated amongst a few operators that we had Intel on and felt good about was able, was able to help us lean into the development angle, um, which is really, I think, the difference. I mean, everybody has, you know, plus or minus 5% probably on PDP in terms of what they view it as, and most people will probably value permits, ducks, et cetera. Um, and that I think is where the competition probably all clustered around is generally a, a PDP plus type bid. I think we were able to lean in a little bit on the development on operators that we felt good about in areas that we, from our MidCon knowledge, felt were competitive economics with the spacing being done right. Um, and I think that was really the difference. And I think there was a, a large number of people who were clustered in a similar price environment that we were at. Uh, I think we were just a little bit better. And that was just from uh, just a little bit tighter uh assumption on the development.
0: And you know, at, at this point too, Kane comes back in the mineral space. Kane had not been involved in any minerals action since Haymaker. Yep. And I had just made the assumption that you know they they really didn't want to do anything more in the mineral space. You know, they they got a nice exit with Haymaker, but there's been really a line drawn the sand in private equity firms who want to do minerals and who don't, right? At this mm-hmm. point, we're almost 10 years into private equity playing in the mineral space. And then boom this press release comes out, and you know, Kane's doing some ground game with you. And then they do this large acquisition. They're now in the Permian with one map, forming a new fund. So Kane is keen on minerals uh, mm-hmm. all of a sudden. I'm just curious, kind of the dialogue with them and and what they like about uh, the asset class and wanting to participate going forward. Yeah, I think you know, they
1: had been expressing to us desire to, to get into minerals um, even before the asset that we bought came to market. So we knew that was that was a focus of theirs. They were pushing hard on, on land run four of trying to grow that where we could and really trying to get a, a mineral yield vehicle within Kane. And I think it fits well with kind of both the tail end of their, their private equity funds as well as the energy income funds they're actively managing and raising. You know, it that fits that yield angle as well as has that upside angle that you don't necessarily have to sacrifice your distributions and yield to have the upside because you're not spending any capital. So it fits well with that model, and I think they were trying to find ways to get in at scale. Um, And so I think when this one came around, it was one that you know they felt confident in our ability to assess the upside. And so when you look at it from a yield plus the you know potential for outsized return through the upside, it, it just fit really well what they were looking for. I think if that asset was in the Permian, they would have traded at a multiple of what we paid for, um, and we probably wouldn't have been competitive. Um, I think it was a ability to not necessarily underwrite to the full upside that we thought was there. So you have this you know base return that we can feel comfortable about and fits that you know cane income fund yield target. As well as having that upside of getting a real
0: closer to a twenty-something return that would be a home run. So, I mean, kind of dialing it back here, looking at the Andarco from a larger transaction landscape. You know, Q2 of 2022, uh, Brigham prunes off a little over sixty-seven million to Eckert. Then you guys do this two hundred-plus million-dollar deal press release in October, long One sold. I'm I'm not exactly sure. I want to say the end of the year, early early part of this year, that included Permian, Uh, Sixth Street acquired that portfolio. Mm -hmm. So that was a sizable uh, Anadarko position. So three solid deals of of scale. Do you think this starts to continue and larger deals come back to Anadarko or these special situations that fit the buyer and the seller and it's still going to be kind of here or there on 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 the larger deals versus the steady large deal flow we see in the Permian, for instance.
1: Yeah, I think you know they're just they're they're kind of smaller than the Permian. So there's just less quantum of of large scaled up deals. I think the remaining ones out there that I can think of would be the the long point two assets, um, the heritage minerals assets, which is the old American energy minerals platform. Both of those I think are either in market or will be coming to market or marketable in the next call it six to eighteen months. Um, and I think we would be participants in both of those processes and and uh Echo would and, be the other yeah. one. Um
0: yep. which is my understanding at this point really in harvest mode. But yep. yeah, yep. those are the ones that spent a lot of capital in the in that earlier earlier phase. And then yeah, I think along the way there's been folks kind of building up those tinier portfolios and yep. stuff that maybe trades at 10, 20, 30 million as it starts to yep. get a little more developed and sellable yep. will we'll come to market as well. Yeah, I think some of the smaller stuff is
1: probably had a longer hold period than the bigger stuff mainly because if the shorter stuff or the smaller assets are likely backed by family money or people that have a longer time horizon than the bigger assets that had institutional capital or uh, private equity capital that has a more uh, finite uh, investment horizon. So some of those I think are going to run up against just fun life type concerns and needs to have a monetization it's some of the smaller scale assets that were put together called sub 50 million are able to kind of hold and just play the ROI game.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Well, very good. Listen, Andrew, I appreciate you coming on. I'll hand the floor over to you. Just folks listening who are active in the mid-con that they're buying or they have portfolios and they're looking to peel stuff out and, and divest, you know, how do you want them to think of land run and what are you guys looking for? And what are the best ways to collaborate?
1: Yeah, I think we are open for business in pretty much any lower 48 basin. I think we focus predominantly in the mid-continent. Um, we've done deals as small as a couple thousand dollars to uh, up to 200 million plus. And I think, you know, we are looking in, in any kind of major shale play. I mean, we've had exposure uh, and, and spent a lot of time in the Permian, Bakken, Haynesville, Eagleford. Um, I think the only area we really don't spend a lot of time in is Appalachia. But, you know, we are... Looking for things, I think that right now that have either a strong yield component or have upside that we can easily underwrite to, or we feel like we have some sort of edge market knowledge that, that um, others don't, or we can, can play to that advantage.
0: All right, Andrew. Well, appreciate you coming on and have a great summer. We we'll look forward to connecting in person soon. Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed. The Minerals and Royalties podcast is meant for informational purposes only. Tim Powell and the Minerals and Royalties Authority are not promoting any specific securities or investments, nor are they providing any type of investment advice. If you enjoyed the episode, then I encourage you to tune in more and also check out the Minerals and Royalties Authority YouTube channel. Thanks and see you next time.